You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Well, if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 14. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 14. And Laurel's going to come and read our text for us. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So if you look at your Bible, let's just review a little bit where we've been the last three weeks. It's almost been like a mini-series on Jesus healing people. And what does he do and how does he do it and what is his role and why? And verse 8, 1 through 4, Jesus engages with about as marginalized a person as it gets, someone with leprosy in that culture in that time, and he heals him. And then a centurion comes to him who's... Uh, not marginalized in a financial or a societal sense, but he's a Gentile. He's not Jewish. So he's deemed unclean by Jewish people who would have been the ones that read this for the first time. And he comes to Jesus asking for healing for his servant, and he gets healed. And then today, look at verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. So you ever had a bad fever? the worst. Probably almost all of us have, I would imagine. And I, I hate having a fever. It feels like you, you got the body aches, right? You've been like run over by a truck is what it feels like. Can't get off the couch. I hate being sick. It just feels like a distraction. I get annoyed. I got stuff to do. So I, was, I had a little thought experiment for myself this week. Like if I had to pick between, you know, like the, the 24-hour like where everything on your inside wants to be on your outside kind of thing, you know, that deal. You got that, or you had to pick like the three or four day influenza kind of thing where you have a high fever and just aches and like, what would you pick? And I, man, I think I'd pick the 24 hours to get it over with, right? Like on the couch with the fever, you know, fevers can be really scary, especially in a world that didn't, doesn't have the medication like we have today. You know, if if your fever gets high enough, you can have seizures, you can have hallucinations, and even death. We have modern medicine that can usually deal with that. But even 100 years ago, people died of high fevers. And imagine 2,000 years ago. So a fever could be serious business. And that's the scene that Jesus enters into. This fever is serious business. That's our entry point for our text. And so Jesus shows up at Peter's house. We don't know why they went to Peter's house, but you can imagine that they were gathered together to just have, be, have a little alone time. They've been with the crowds, it says. They've been with the crowds most of the day. And they're just getting away. 
So that's the scene. Verse 14, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. So Jesus, again, is doing something different, unique, like we've seen him do the last three weeks. Something that might have been rare for someone in a position of authority. A Jewish teacher, a Jewish rabbi. Because, why would that be? Because someone with a fever, just like the leper, just like the Gentile centurion, someone with a fever was deemed unclean by the Jewish mindset. In addition to that, this is a woman. And at this point in history, in this part of the world, women did not have the same status as men, especially men who were maybe of the upper echelon of religious leaders. Women were not honored and dignified in the same way they are today. But what we see is that Jesus makes the rules, right? He has the authority to heal, and he has the authority to circumvent those things that are keeping people in bondage. So what does the text say? The text says he touched her hand. Don't miss that. He didn't have to touch her. But he did. He touched her hand. Jesus, like we saw last week, can heal with a word. But he touched her hand. I think that was intentional. And instead of him being infected by some false sense of uncleanness, she's restored to wholeness. She's restored to wholeness. So don't miss this. Don't miss this. Jesus is in the restoration business. Jesus is in the restoration business. That's the scene. And then Matthew goes on here in verse 16 to just kind of like, he's like, I I just gave you a narrow lens. Here's like a real narrow thing, something that happened in a specific moment in time. And then he he widens the lens. And now he's just going to summarize how about their night. What happened that night? Verse 16. That evening... They brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. So here's more information, how Jesus spent the rest of the day. People must have heard, word gets out, it's not a big city, that Jesus has healed this woman with a fever, and so people start coming. People start coming. And so this massive ministry of healing, according to Matthew, took place that night in that home. But I want us to pay attention to the words here in verse 16. And I want something to land on us that underscores the authority of Jesus. The power of Jesus. Look at at what he says, how Matthew reports this. He says, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits. What does it say? With a word. With a word. And healed all who were sick with a word. So a lot of you have seen Hollywood movies, horror movies, exorcisms. You know, that's a genre that's very common. It's not my thing, but I'm, you know, I, I know what this is like. And a lot of times in a movie, when you see someone perform an exorcism, there's lots of yelling and screaming and sweating and strenuous effort and tension and just kind of madness swirling around in that scene during an exorcism, right? And, and there were accounts, even historically, from 2,000 years ago of Jewish exorcists 
just putting on a big show, carrying on and on, hoping, you know, you get a good result based on strenuous effort. Do you feel the contrast in this text? Right? See, someone with true authority doesn't need to, like, yap, yap, yap. Right? Carry on and on. You know how, like, little dogs tend to be the yappiest? Like, little ankle biters just running around, yap, 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 yap. I hate those dogs. And, sorry, no offense, no offense. Um, but they always have a lot to say, right? Just yap, 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 running around, barking at everything. Why is that? Well, I think they feel like they need to overcompensate for their size, right? What they lack in size and stature, they make up for in volume, right? They feel threatened by everything because they're small, they're vulnerable. They've got little dog syndrome, right? And so what you see a contrast with big dogs oftentimes. Big dogs oftentimes are more chill. They don't feel threatened because they know what they're capable of. And there doesn't need to be a big show, right? They just know that if they need to put the little dog in its place, they can do that. It's no big deal, right? And this is true in human relationships a lot too. Oftentimes people who are the most insecure are the loudest, Here's the deal. He says he healed just a word. Jesus is not insecure. He doesn't need to overcompensate. He doesn't need a big show. He just needs a word. He just needs a word, right? The Bible says that Jesus is the creator. Hebrews chapter 1. He sustains the creation by his word of power. See Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus speaks light, and there's light in the darkness. Just a word. Just a word. He, he just gives a word, and the chaos of a storm becomes calm. He just gives a word, and that which is disordered finds its order. That which is broken is restored. Don't miss this. Jesus is in the restoration business. So, so if you are an original audience 2,000 years ago, reading this for the first time, or hearing it read, probably more likely, you're hearing it read for the first time, this account of Jesus' life from Matthew. What are you going to see? What are you going to feel? Well, we've been underscoring something very profound these last three weeks in Matthew's little mini-series on Jesus' healings. What do we see? One of the things that jumps right off the page, in my opinion, is this. That Jesus has authority. Jesus has authority. But let's, let's, let's drill down a little bit more. Like, how does Jesus use that authority? See, in our world, when we think of those with authority, like the upper echelon of authority, that's typically not wedded to, married to, the lowest of lows in service. Like you typically don't see the highest of heights of authority married to the lowest of lows of service. That, that's typically rare. I think it's one of the reasons why, you know, a lot of us have seen this show. I don't even know if it's still on. I don't watch TV that much, but the show Undercover Boss. A lot of you guys have heard of that show, seen that show. 
And the premise is that the boss goes, you know, leaves the office, leaves the boardroom, puts on the apron or, or whatever, puts on the tool belt or whatever, and, and works alongside those that are doing more of the menial tasks. We like that because we want to see what's going to happen. How does authority respond to being put in a position of service? And so the past three weeks in Matthew, we've seen Jesus engage with three different types of people. A leper, super marginalized. A a Roman centurion, not marginalized financially or societally, but marginalized because he's a Gentile and deemed unclean by Jewish people. And then today we have an older woman suffering fever. So she's marginalized as a woman and she's marginalized because she's really sick. And all three of these people have something very much in common. Even though they were very different, the Jewish elites would have deemed them unclean. Lepers, Gentiles, those with a fever. And they all have their need presented to Jesus. They all have their need presented to Jesus. And what do we see? We see that Jesus is willing to use his authority to serve. He doesn't fear being defiled. He has authority over that which people say will defile someone. He's willing to enter those places and bring restoration to what is broken, disordered, and suffering Don't miss this. Jesus is in the restoration business. Some of us might feel like we have to remain far off from Jesus. Maybe we think that he won't have willingness to engage our problems. Maybe we in some sense feel unclean and unworthy to ask Jesus for mercy. Like he he, he won't want to concern himself with my sin. I've sinned too much. Some of us doubt if Jesus can truly restore that which is broken in our lives. If you see anything from this text, see what followers of Jesus probably took when they read this for the first time. Jesus has the authority with a word to restore what is broken. You don't have to stand far off and disqualified. You just have to come to Jesus. You just have to come to Jesus on his terms. See, lepers don't stand far off. Unclean Gentiles don't stand far off. Why should should we stand far off? Jesus is the one who gets to say who's disqualified and who isn't. Jesus, based on the authority of his word, gets to set the boundaries. They're boundaries for sure. Jesus is the one that sets those boundaries, not man-made rules. So we come underneath the authority of God's word. And based on the authority of God's word this morning, I can say that you don't have to stand far off. You can come near by the blood of Jesus and present your need to him. Jesus is in the restoration business. Jesus is in the restoration business. There's one last verse that we're going to look at 
that Matthew wants to show us that continues to underscore this. Look at what Matthew is doing here. I love this. Look at verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So the first word is this. What what does that refer to? What is this this referring to? Well, he's hearkening back to everything we've read in the first 16 verses of chapter 8. This, meaning these accounts of Jesus demonstrating his authority and his lordship with just a word. This healing, this restoring what is broken. See what Matthew says here? He says, this ministry of healing is also a ministry of fulfillment. This was to fulfill. Fulfill what? Well, he tells us, fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Now, when did, who, who's Isaiah? When, when did he speak? What did he speak? Well, if you're new to your Bible, Isaiah is a prophet from the Old Testament. Wrote a really long book calling out to God's people to repent. Turn from idolatry. Turn, turn from self-worship. And turn to the living God. Repent or the wrath of God is upon you. But it wasn't all just doom and gloom, repent or else. It was also, God loves you. And if you turn and repent, he will restore you. He loves you. And part of what he wrote is one of the most, um, sorry, one of the most beautiful chapters in all of the Bible, Isaiah 53. And that's what Matthew is quoting here. He gives us one verse from Isaiah 53, but oftentimes in a Jewish culture, uh, a rabbi would, would just give you one verse, and that verse was to draw to mind for you, like, the whole chapter. Okay? So this is Matthew just kind of triggering Isaiah 53. Let me read Isaiah 53, just a few verses from it, to, 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 to help us understand what is Matthew saying? What is Jesus fulfilling? He's saying to these people, you know, what you heard from many centuries ago, Isaiah saying, is now coming to pass right now in Jesus. So let's see what he says. This is what Isaiah wrote about Jesus. Isaiah 53, I'll just read it for you. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. 
When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So Isaiah is prophesying about a day that is coming when the Savior will heal in some sense by his suffering. Again, like I already said, Matthew's reminding or explaining to his original audience that what you know, because these are Jewish people he's writing to, what you've read of in Isaiah, Old Testament, you love Old Testament Jewish people, you know Isaiah 53, yeah, it's coming to pass right now in Jesus. He's saying, you, you are seeing in Jesus, in flesh and blood, walking around your neighborhood just a few years ago, before he died and rose again, the one who fulfilled what Isaiah said many centuries earlier. This, this would have been huge for that original audience. We should see that this morning in the text. But I want us to ask ourselves this question. In what sense did Jesus take our illnesses and bear our diseases? He's quoting Isaiah 53 verse 4. Why does Jesus quote this on the heels of these three poignant healing miracles? Well, I think what Matthew is doing is he wants to point his original readers and us to the cross. And here's what that means. At the cross, Jesus bore the weight of all the sin in the world. And one sign of sin in the world is that our bodies don't work right. Our bodies and our minds, our desires don't work right. Things are broken. I have feelings in in my mind and feelings in my body that do not correspond with God's word, that do not correspond with who God says I am. I've got a body that doesn't work, my mind included, in the way that it's Supposed to. My body hurts sometimes. My mind will tell me lies that are not true. That's because of the fall. That's because of the fall. So back here, we've got leprosy. We've got servants that get sick and die. We've got fevers that can kill. We've got a whole host of other problems in our world today. Just in this room, just present in this room. We've got heart problems. We've got cancer. We've got joints that hurt. We've got brains that don't tell us the truth according to God's word. We've got birth defects. We've got eyes that can't see very well. The list goes on and on. We need healing. We need restoring to the original intent of perfection. And when Jesus shows up and he heals people on the spot, it's a sign for everyone to see that the kingdom of God is breaking in to human history. It's a sign. It's like, it's not all perfect yet. Like Jesus didn't heal everybody. I mean, you see that. Like not not everybody got healed. But Jesus shows up and he gives a sign. He's saying the kingdom of God is breaking into history right now. Look at what I'm doing. You can trust me. You can believe my word. You can see my authority and my power. Follow me. Trust me. Trust my word. It's not going to be perfect yet. But it's a sign there's better things coming. It's like a down payment, the Bible says. 
It's like when you have an appetizer, you know that there's better things to come in that meal. Jesus is given an appetizer. And then what happens? He goes to the cross. He fulfills what Isaiah 53 wrote. Where he bears the wrath of God on, uh, for our sin in our place and rises again from the dead to show that death, which oftentimes comes about through sickness or disease, right, is defeated. The resurrection says all that you, those aches and pains and your mind that doesn't work right and the lies that you believe and your body that hurts, that one day will be over for all those that are in Christ. Because it was true for Jesus. His resurrection is a sign of our resurrection for those that are in Christ. Jesus bore the weight of all that keeps us down. He defeated its power. So so here's the big deal for us to meditate on and be thankful for rejoicing. Based on this, we can know for sure that either right now in answer to prayer or in the next life, without question, restoration is coming. Healing is coming. It can happen right now in an instant. I believe in healing. It happens all around this world. But even if you get healed, you're still going to die unless Jesus returns. And so your hope is still on that day. So we can pray for healing today, and I invite you. If you have something that's, that's afflicting you today, let's, let's pray. I'll be down front. We can pray. Other leaders might be around. You can pray. Pray with someone who came with. God could heal you on the spot today. I believe that that can happen. But it might not. But make no mistake, healing is coming. Jesus has the authority to do it either right now or in just a little bit longer when this life is over. So here's the message. Hold on. Hold on. If you, don't, if you see anything in the Bible, it's perseverance. You don't have to give up. What does the Bible say? The Bible says our life is a mist. You know how when you make something on the stove and it produces steam, like a mist, and then you turn the heat off, what happens? It disappears. And the Bible says that's what our life is like. Your suffering is just this long. And I know for so many of you, it feels like, oh, it's so cute. And I just want to give up and just say, forget it. The Bible says it's very short if you're willing to submit to God's timetable. And he's with you in it. And he might restore you today. Or he might restore you at the end of your life that is a mist. But make no mistake, healing is coming. He bore our illnesses and bore our diseases. Your suffering will not have the last word. The day of restoration is coming. So you don't have to despair. You don't have to be a slave to despair. It might not get perfectly better in this life, but it will. If you see anything from an empty tomb, see that. New life, restoration, perfection. Aches and pains, gone. Lies in my brain, gone. So we'll pray for you today. We would love to. Even more than that, the call is come to Jesus. Submit to his authority. Find your greatest joy in his word 
and what he says about you. You are not defined by your suffering. You are not defined by what's broken in your life. You are who God says you are. You don't have the authority to define yourself as I'm a sufferer. That's who I am. Well, yeah, we suffer, but that's not who you are. Who you are is in Christ. Who you are is chosen before the foundation of the world. Who you are is redeemed, loved, blessed, recipient of an inheritance. That's who you are. And based on that, we know that one day all that is lost will be found. All that is sorrowful will be turned to rejoicing because he bore it at the cross. Jesus is in the restoration business. Let's pray. Father, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Lord, would you help us? We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for bearing our, our illnesses and our diseases and promising new life because you're risen from the dead. We long for that day. We say, Lord, bring it. Lord, would you bring it? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.